Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series, An Alternative Lifestyle, today with a message entitled Beyond Forgiveness. So turning your Bibles to Philemon 5 to 11 as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Standing on the campus of the University of Bradford in West Yorkshire, which is in England, there is a statue called the Statue of Reconciliation. It depicts a man and a woman facing each other, and they're both on their knees before each other, and they're embracing each other across a barbed wire fence. Now, that statue was initially sculpted in the aftermath of World War II, when because of that horrible conflict that brought, you know, devastation to Europe, so many husbands and wives were separated from each other. You know, it was a newspaper report during that time that chronicled in great detail the story of one woman who crossed all of Europe on foot in order to find her husband. She did, and this statue depicted their reunion over the barbed wire and hell of war. But the statue has come to symbolize something else. It was named not the statue of reunion, but the statue of reconciliation. The barbed wire became a symbol for that which holds people apart. But the embrace of the man and the woman over the barbed wire, well, that's the willingness of people to overcome the barbed wire of war and of hatred and of bitterness and of past sins and to fall into each other's arms. You know, today as we continue our study in the book of Philemon, we're going to address this subject that is it's close to my heart, but I suspect that it is close to all of our hearts. So I've entitled this address, Beyond Forgiveness. The book of Philemon is a personal letter. We've seen that. Paul the Apostle writes from prison in Rome, and he's writing to his friend Philemon. Philemon is a wealthy businessman in the city of Colossae. Philemon is also a slave owner, and one of his slaves, a young man by the name of Onesimus, is probably a fairly worthless fellow. You know, it may be that Onesimus, while under Philemon, stole from him, and he probably didn't earn his keep either. And in the end, Onesimus ran away. And and then adding insult to injury, many scholars believe that he may have stolen in order to finance his trip to Rome. But then somehow, while in Rome, Paul met him, and somehow Paul won him to faith in Christ. That's a part of the story that's not actually in this book, but it does leave us to wonder. Now, Paul is sending Philemon a letter along with Onesimus, this worthless slave, and he's asking him to move beyond forgiveness all the way to reconciliation. He wants the two men to fall into each other's arms over a barbed wire fence, and he wants them to do more. He wants them to build a relationship that was never there in the first place. But before Paul dives straight into what needs to be happening, Paul notices the kind of man that Philemon is. Verses 5 to 7 reads, and here I'm reading the text, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now, we've noticed that that Paul didn't begin this letter by telling Philemon what he needed to do. Rather, Paul has reminded Philemon how often he prayed for him and how thankful he was for him and how often he thought of him. 
And then Paul adds a request that he has for Philemon. He prays that the sharing of his faith may become effective. Now, often in our language, I mean, that means, and we assume it means, evangelism. Now, of course, it is important for all of us to know how to share our faith with those who don't believe. But I think in the context of this passage, it's clear to me that this is not what Paul has in mind. Here, Paul means the fellowship of your faith may become effective or the communal nature of your faith may become effective. Now, this word effective, well, it comes from a Greek word. and The word is energes. Now, we often get our English word energy from that very word. But in Greek, the word is often translated powerful as powerful. So let me restate verse 6. Paul says, I pray that the communal nature of our faith may become powerful. Powerful for what? Well, let's notice the rest of the verse. Powerful for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Let me try to restate that. The way in which we become aware of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ is by living our faith communally in relationships with one another, loving relationships. Paul is praying that the depth of Philemon's faith would would just continue to grow as he sought out within the context of his fellowship, the local church, the, the radical nature of Christian communion, sold out believers in love with each other. Let me put it another way. We live in a culture that is in our nation where the expression alternative lifestyle is a way of living that rejects the wider norms within our culture. And this is where the book of Philemon is so important. In the face of abusive social institutions like slavery, Christianity established a completely different way of living. They lived a life not of dominance or abuse. They lived a life of love. And that's the challenge we deal with today. And so rather than simply telling Philemon how he should deal with Onesimus, Paul actually models for Philemon how a loving community deals with problems. Now to verse 7. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. In other words, Paul tells Philemon, I can confidently deal with the situation between you and Onesimus simply because through prayer and observation of how you've lived your life, I've seen your track record. Now, let me ask you. Now, if you're Philemon, would you be prepared to listen to a brother who loves you that much? See, I'm betting you would. Now, before we look at the details of verses 8 to 13, I want to make an appeal to you. I'm assuming that because we live in a you know, broken and fallen world, we all have people whom we have hurt, and we all have people who have deeply hurt us. But you can deal with the most difficult relational difficulties you have if you are mentored by people who earnestly love you. And almost all of us know when we're being loved. And almost all of us know when we're not being loved and only being treated harshly. So let me speak to you if you're in Christian leadership. Are you creating that kind of an environment around the people that you lead? When you need to discipline someone, Are you known for the prayers of joy that that you've had, for the progress of the life of faith in the other? Wow. You know, this book really does present us with a radical new community. So let's read on. Philemon verses 8 and 9. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, 
Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. So let's just stop right there. You know, for the first time, Paul's getting to the point. He wants Philemon to receive his slave Onesimus back in love. Now, the reason why Paul is in a place to command Philemon is that Paul is an apostle. You know, in the early church, there was a recognition of apostolic authority. Apostles were understood as men directly trained by Jesus himself. And if we had time, we would see that this is also true for Paul. And then consequently, these men were selected by Jesus to be his spokesmen. That is, they were to speak on his behalf. They were to speak by direct revelation from God. And that gave them great authority over the church and over individual Christians. And by the way, the writings of the apostles, which make up our New Testament, has that same level of authority over the lives of believers today. And we simply call this biblical authority. And it carries with it the authority of God. Scripture has the power to command us. Now, we should know that if you don't know it now. But, but Paul also knows that reconciliation must arise from our own hearts. The command may teach me what I should be doing, but the heart doesn't respond to the command. The heart loves and the heart hates according to its own desires. And so instead of commanding, Paul makes an appeal. Now, it's very important to hear on what basis he makes that appeal. First, notice Paul makes his appeal on the basis of of his age. He says, I, Paul, an old man. Now, why even mention age? Here's the answer. In the ancient culture, it was necessary to be respectful of elders. Paul is saying, Philemon, listen, because I am older than you are, do me the dignity of hearing me out. And then secondly, hear me out because of my imprisonment. And Paul has mentioned that his imprisonment is for Christ. Paul is in prison because of his faithfulness to Christ. So he's an old man who has a track record of faithfulness. He says, listen to my appeal, my dear friend. Lorraine wrote, Listening to Back to the Bible Canada and Laugh Again starts my day off right. It amazes me how God's love reaches into my life daily through these programs. God's Word is so precious. I also get a real lift from Laugh Again with Phil. Sometimes I just need that chuckle to help get me through the day. Lorraine, thank you. Your encouragement lets us know lives are being touched and the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada are making a difference. Has your life been impacted by the Word of God and the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada? With your consistent support as a monthly partner or because of your gift today, the good news is being shared across our nation. To join in the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, Laugh Again or In Doubt, call us with your gift at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Paul has made it very clear that it is quite in order for him to command Philemon to not only take back his errant slave, who has now become a Christian, remember that, but also to make room for a rich relationship that he wants to grow between these two men. Now, let me be clear. 
Paul has not yet said what that road toward relationship between these men looks like. But when he does, it becomes clear that there will be no avoiding the truth. Onesimus has been a worthless fellow. He's been untrustworthy even in the best of times, and we're going to get to that. But at the outset, Paul wants Philemon to commit to this road of reconciliation if it's possible at all. So as we read, let's be clear. God wants believers to commit to forgiveness in every circumstance, but he also wants believers to commit to reconciliation when that becomes a possibility. Ah, Let's start with forgiveness. You remember Christ's discussion with Peter? It's found in Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. See, forgiveness is a basic Christian command. We're not permitted to foster hatred and bitterness or revenge. You know, forgiveness is an attitude which is fostered in the mind. It's fostered in the heart. It's fostered in the way we speak. It's fostered in the things that we do. Now, in the context of Matthew 18, it's it's completely related to what to do when a brother sins personally against you and how to restore that brother. And the passage doesn't assume that reconciliation is always possible. Sometimes the entire enterprise ends badly, and it assumes that believers having a forgiving heart would take steps toward reconciliation if that should become a possibility. See, there's a very important difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Always forgive, we reconcile when possible. Now, I'm assuming that Philemon has forgiven. He had forgiven Onesimus from his heart. I'm also assuming that he did not send out slave catchers, and I'm also assuming that he had not been planning punishment. He was forgiven. But now something unique has happened, which allows for reconciliation. Onesimus has repented of his sins. Now, of course, that means he's repented of all known sins against God, and it means that he's received the free gift of salvation through Christ's substitutionary death on the cross for him. But I'm also assuming something else. Onesimus repented of his sins against Philemon. You see, in verse 11, Paul admits what Onesimus must have admitted to Paul. He was useless to Philemon. Now, we can only begin to imagine what that might have meant. I am assuming that he didn't do his work. He may have been disruptive in the work of others. You know, some Bible teachers believe that he stole. Indeed, some believe that the reason he ran from Philemon, well, it had nothing to do with, you know, poor treatment as a slave, nor the institution of slavery at all. But rather, it had everything to do with the fact that money from Philemon's house had been available to him. And so Onesimus took it, and he ran in order to enjoy a life in Rome that he had always dreamt about. All of that is possible. In fact, it even seems like the very thing that must have happened. But then came that fateful encounter between Paul and Onesimus and the confessing of his sins and being made whole before God. And Paul is interested in something, and it's really something quite wonderful, not just forgiveness. God forgives. And Philemon, we must assume, because of the way Paul speaks of him, had also forgiven. But now an opportunity has come to move beyond forgiveness all the way to reconciliation. That must have filled the apostle's heart with joy. It meant a new, rich, joyful, trusting, and celebrating friendship. 
And that's what I mean by reconciliation. So I hope you can see what makes reconciliation possible. You actually can forgive and even love someone with whom it's not possible to have a deep, rich relationship. Imagine you have a friend who's addicted to drugs. You know, he steals and he lies habitually to cover up who he is. Can you forgive such a one if if they never repent? Well, of course. Of course you can. You can do it 70 times 7. You can do it over and over again. Christ will give you that power. But can you enter into a relationship of trust with such a person when they don't repent? Well, no, you can't. But that doesn't mean that you become harsh and unforgiving or that you stop being gracious, or even praying that this person will have a heart change. Helping wherever it's possible. You know, we can even be deeply involved in that person's life, but all the while, we are not moved to reconciliation. It's not possible. See, if we don't see the difference between, you know, forgiveness and reconciliation, we'll miss the depth of what's being presented to Philemon. Notice how a new relationship was now made possible. It's found in verse 10. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now that phrase, whose father I became, that's, it's curious in the Greek. It literally reads, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, the one whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. Paul is saying, while I'm in prison, I have begotten a little baby. It's this guy, Onesimus. This guy that was lazy and he was a thief. He was nothing but trouble. Well, he is the little baby that was born to me in jail. Now, as strange as such a phrase sounds, it's of course completely in keeping with what the entire New Testament teaches on the subject of conversion. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Jesus used the language of the new birth being born again. And this new creation is a change of heart attitude Everything is now made new. And given that, Paul has news for Philemon. When anyone is in Christ, all things are made new. He is now to treat this man as a new man. Now, verse 11 says, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. I hope you see the implication. Not only has our Christian brother been forgiven, but our Christian brother has been transformed And perhaps we should see that in one another. Whenever there is a true conversion, when it's real, when it's occurred, there's been a transformation of character. 1 John 3 verse 9 speaks of the seed of God that remains in every true believer so that a life of repeated, habitual, continual sin is broken. It becomes impossible for us to carry on in that. That means, of course, that it's impossible to be in Christ and not be radically transformed from the inside to the outside. Now, here Paul acknowledges that the fundamental problem in the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus was a problem with Onesimus. But conversion seems to have solved the problem. Now, I'm not arguing that our life after conversion is free from difficulties or or even free from sin or even free from some of the things that that plagued us before we, we were in Christ. Nor am I arguing that Christians never do wrong against others. You know, some of the the deepest, deepest wounds we bear come from fellow believers. But that's not my point here. My point is actually quite a simple one. Where there is genuine remorse 
and genuine repentance and genuine faith in Christ, there is room to move beyond forgiveness to a joyful, restored relationship. It's called reconciliation. And for that reason, the believer is always hopeful. The believer never finally closes doors anywhere until Christ returns. We always leave room for this possibility. It really is possible for two people to embrace each other across a barbed wire fence. It really is possible for the dividing wall of hostility to be erased where before it seemed impossible. In a world that respects rights and remembers wrongs, it's possible that repentance doesn't lead to, I told you so, but that repentance leads to an earnest welcome home. I look forward to a new relationship today. Well, that's quite a thought. You know, some of you will say, I've actually never seen one of those situations happen ever in my lifetime. I'd love to see that. But here, think again. You have seen it. You were once alienated from God, and now we're reconciled to Christ. That's the model. And since Christ has already modeled that with you, you can have the boldness to begin to model that in others where you thought such a situation could never occur. My prayer for the Christian church is that we begin to heal where there has been brokenness rather than simply casting the broken aside and moving on. John, a great message today. It reminds me to ask a couple of questions, I guess. One is, you know, is reconciliation always possible? And I guess the other question, should we always, should we carry around that guilt if it's not? Yeah, I, and I would say that in, <laughs> in so many cases, reconciliation is not possible. But I, I think the reason that I, I pressed this so hard in this message is that we should continue to pray that it might be possible. Uh, if it never is in this life, then we will leave those matters before the judgment seat of Christ. We, we're not going to deal with those now. That's what forgiveness does. But reconciliation says, because I'm so convinced that God is able to change a human life, and I know that he's been doing that in me, it shouldn't surprise me then if God does that in that other person. And if he does, uh, then I would want to move and restore everything that's been broken um, so it, it looks inside and asks, would I be willing if it were possible? That's all that God asks. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, An Alternative Lifestyle, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. We're always encouraged and blessed by the generosity of those who share our heart for Bible teaching and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And we continue to be in awe. Last month, we received a pledge from a group of ministry friends who are committed to matching your donation this month up to $125,000. I can't express enough appreciation for the potential impact of this pledge for ministry. I'm excited also to share that we're continuing our match into the month of July. So could I ask you to thoughtfully consider offering a financial gift today? Your gift of $50, $100, or more will be then matched up to $125,000, which with your help becomes $250,000 to support the ongoing Bible teaching of this ministry. 
Would you help us to take full advantage of this opportunity today? Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us and make your gift securely online at backtothebible.ca.